to uh, start off the new year, uh, Jennifer and I went on an anniversary trip. And so uh, we went to Puerto Rico. And it was our uh, second year in a row taking an anniversary trip to Puerto Rico. So we've been married 17 years. Um, last year on our 16th anniversary, we thought, we'll take our 10-year anniversary trip. We didn't take one. We've never taken an anniversary trip. So like, it's going to be our 10-year so long about, I don't know, it was like October, I was like, so you want to take our 15-year anniversary trip? And so uh, we did that on our 17th year, and we, we just had a wonderful time. We went to uh, this place, we stayed in a little cheap Airbnb, we went to Walmart and bought our food, and listen, this is what we did. We held down the beach. That's what we did. We found this, me this beach, this like uh, kind of remote beach, it was like a, a mile walk through the jungle, uh, you'd pop out on this beach, and like 30 to 50 people would visit that beach all day long. And so there were a good portion of the day that we were the only two people sitting on that beach. And we, there we were with two towels, an umbrella, and some food, and a books. You know, and we sat there, and we just had a great time. And I started thinking, like, man, I could, I could just do this, <laughs> right? Like, this is a good life. We could just, like... Grandparents are keeping the kids. We could just have them drop them off at the airport. They're good travelers. They could meet us down here. We could pick them up. And we, we, I could just stay. It's, it was mid-80s, low 70s. It was wonderful. And, uh, man, I just got to thinking, like, this, this could be my life. I could be a beach bum. I like the mountains, but Puerto Rico has mountains. Uh, you know, it's like the, the beach, the mountains, this, this would be all right. And on our last night, we had, we had been eating in the evening at these little local places, and we kind of eaten at all of them. It was a small place where we were staying. We found this one about, this, this restaurant about 15 or 20 minutes away, and it was at a marina. And so we show up at this marina, and we're like, we pull in, and one, like when you pull up to the gate and there's a guard and he asked what we're doing, and I feel like I'm a peasant pulling up in this place. I'm like, I have no business here. I'm driving like a little Kia, you know, and I'm like, uh, here to eat at the restaurant. I thought they were going to turn us away. I was like, and didn't, like, I'm not dressed. This was a nice place. And uh, we go in, and by the way, it was still cheaper than eating at Chick-fil-A. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we go to this place, and it's at this marina. And people are coming in uh, off of their boats to, to eat, and they'll go back to their boats. And, you know, we're walking over. I'm seeing all these really nice boats. And after we get done eating, I'm like, hey, let's go walk around the marina. Let's go look at these boats. And it was interesting. The smaller boats were all kind of closer to the restaurant. And the farther you got, the bigger the boats got. And so we're like halfway down the marina, and there's some catamarans, and we're like, there's a for sale sign on that one. Let's see what that cost. You know, so I'm like over there looking it up and it's like $380,000. And I'm like, you live in, I live in Fort Collins. That doesn't sound bad, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I started to think like I could sell my house and I could go buy that. And even have like, this, this is doable, right? I, we could, we could do this. And the further we got down this marina, the bigger the boats got. And there's these massive boats, and I'm going, this is a yacht, right? This is a yacht. Turns out it wasn't, by the way. That's not even a yacht, but I thought it was. And I'm like, what do these people do? What do you do for a living to have so much money that you can have that big old boat sitting there in that dock slip probably 50 weeks of a year, let's be honest, right? They've got to, you know, like they're paying more for that dock, you know, that, that dock slip than we're paying on our mortgage, 
And we keep going and we keep going. The boats just keep getting bigger and bigger. And we finally get to the very end. And there is what I think, no, no, this is a yacht. I mean, this thing is huge. And uh, there are people on it. There's we, like, it was kind of creepy. I don't, they probably didn't see us, but like, I'm like looking like there's a person down there riding an exercise bike. And it was a, it was a crew member. It takes a crew to run a yacht that big, right? And it's just the crew on it. And I go home and I, we'll get back to the Airbnb. I look it up and uh, this yacht, it's called Club M. I don't know why it's called a club. It's called Club M. It's a privately owned yacht. It's one of one. And it costs $39.7 million to build. $39.7 million. Um, I, I couldn't figure out who the owner was, but once I got home and told John Owen about it, 30 seconds later, he said, the owner is. And I'm like, man, kids these days. Like, how did he do that? And uh, the owner is a real estate uh, in, investor in New York City. And they've done a ton of real estate stuff, and they own all sorts of stuff. And he paid cash for it. He paid cash for it. He pays for five crew members to run that thing all year long. And then I find out, this is a mini yacht. This thing that I think is a huge yacht is a little yacht. And then you, like, look up J-Lo's yacht. Oh, my gosh. Right? People got a lot of money. And man, it's easy in moments like that, when, especially if you're, you're coming from a place where you ain't got a lot of money and you're like around people with a lot of money, your heart can start going, I want a lot of money. <laughs> I want a boat. I, I, I'll take like a 1988 ski boat. Right? You, know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I ain't asking for much, God. I'll take an 88 ski boat. I don't have to have a $39.5 million yacht. Like what, you know, our hearts do that, right? They are, they're idol factories, yeah, but they are coveting factories, man. They are, our hearts can turn to a place of coveting so quickly. And I'm walking around down there and I'm going, man, Lord, I got to believe the truth here. <laughs> I, need to, I need to set my heart right. Uh, walking down this marina is a good gut check to go, no, Jesus, you are enough. That song we sang earlier, Jesus is better. Sometimes you have to look at God and go, make my heart believe. And that's okay, and that is good, but more than all riches, Jesus is better. As we approach this text today, here's my big truth, and here's what I want us to walk away knowing. In the very fiber of our being, in the core of who you are, I want you to know this truth. The riches of this earth are rags compared to the treasures of heaven. The riches of this earth are rags compared to the treasures of heaven. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Um, I, I did some work this week in, in kind of looking and trying to schedule out um, our preaching calendar, man. And, and, it, and this is what happened. It got me so excited for Easter. Uh, man, just in God's sovereign hand and God's sovereign plan and the beauty of expositional preaching, we're going to have our five-year anniversary here at the end of the month, and the text is perfect for it. And then we get up to Palm Sunday and Good Friday service and Sunday morning of Easter service, and we're just going to keep trucking right along because what Luke has for us is beautiful. And so, man, I look forward to continuing. And, and it, I didn't schedule it all the way out, but just kind of counting out, it seems like we will be through with the book of Luke uh, the last week of July. And so, man, it has been a delight to be uh, in the book of Luke with you. And I look forward to these, these uh, 
coming months of being into the book of Luke. So start reading with me in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I've kept from youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house, our wife, our brothers, our parents, our children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. All right, put your eyes back up on verse 18 and let's begin to take this passage apart. And so a ruler asked him, he says, good teacher, this is how he addresses him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he addresses good teacher. We'll, we'll handle that in a second, why he calls him good. But this question that he asks is a really a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so here's the, the first big truth that I want you to see. The rich young ruler asked the right question. This is the question he should have asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life. You know, when God made us, he made us with a heart for eternity. You know, if you travel anywhere in the world, in any point in time in culture, you're gonna find that that people, those people, wherever you are, that there are a large portion of them who ask that question. They believe in some sort of life after death. They believe in an afterlife. They believe in the next life. They're asking the question, is there life after death? If there is, how do I obtain? What do I obtain? Even an atheist. An atheist in their heart is having to ask the question, is there life after death? Even if they come to the spot to go, yep, there's no God and there's no life after death. When I'm dead, I'm dead. They still, God, God put it in them to ask that question. Now, my dog's really smart. Her name is Allie. Um, she's smarter than your dog. I mean no offense by that, but if you've been around my dog, you know it's a reality. Um, she's probably not at home asking that question right now. 
God didn't put it in, in, in a cat for sure, right? We, we know a, a, cats just think they're rulers of all. Uh, they didn't put it in animals. Animals are sitting around building. Uh, man, they can, they can look at an animal. Sure, it can build a nest. A bird can build a nest. But, man, it can't build a house. Uh, God did something in us, and he puts, the, he puts eternity in our hearts. And so we naturally ask this question. And when we ask this question, it's an important question, and it is a question we want to make sure we get the right answer to. And so, man, you cannot, you cannot blame this young man for asking uh, this question, what must I do to be saved? It is the right question. Now, when we look at this passage, uh, there, there's a, uh, a rule that we must use. I mean, we call this in hermeneutics, uh, the, the rule is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So when you read a passage of Scripture, and this one being about salvation, we have to also look and go, what else does the Bible say about salvation? Nowhere else do we see the answer of how can I, how, how can I be saved? The answer is not, well, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you can be saved. You don't see that. This is what you see in the rest of Scripture. When we collectively look at Scripture, we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we get what is what we would consider to be the good news of the gospel. Um, the gospel um, is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is, I think, a, a great place for us to look today. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And saying that statement, that's a loaded statement. You're confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Um, this first century uh, reader would have understood this, this word Lord. They would have understood the term. It's weird for us to use. If I walk up to Caleb and I'm like, Caleb, Lord Caleb, how are you doing today? He would go, weirdo, why are you calling me Lord? Right? Uh, a, a Lord was a, a ruler. Uh, a, a Lord was a king, right? They, they, when in saying this, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You're saying he is ruler of my life. He's king of my life. He's the one who I'm submitting my life to. He's the one I'm living my life for. He is my savior. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you believe in the, in the, in the gospel, in the, the fact that Jesus Christ came to the earth, he lived this, this perfect and spotless life for you. He died on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. The punishment that we deserved, he hung on the cross and he took for us. The one who knew no sin was put on that cross and took on our punishment. He, he was the substitute for our sin so that those who believe in him would believe in his death, burial, and his resurrection. God raising his son from the dead on the third day would be saved. And you can look elsewhere in scripture. You can, you can look at John three sixteen, the very common verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever does what? Sells everything they have and gives it to the poor? No, everyone who believes will be saved. But what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is this very clear picture that, yes, you believe and are safe, but then what God works in you works out of you. And because of your belief, your behaviors change. What God works in your heart works out. I and mean, baptism paints a picture of this for us. Baptism 
we, in, in here we just use a stock tank, but that stock tank and, and that water is symbolic of a grave. And you go into that grave buried with Jesus. I've taken up my cross. I've followed him. I've believed and I'm raised to walk a new way of life. And so what Jesus is doing with this, with this man, the rich young ruler, is he's showing if you believe, your behavior is going to change. Now, let's talk about the rich young ruler. Uh, here in the text, it just says, and a ruler asked him. So why are we calling the rich young ruler? Well, uh, you're going to find out later on in this text that he is, in fact, rich. But when we look at the stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's in, it's in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you hear this story. And from the three, we collectively realize he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. And so he's got the name, the rich young ruler. Now, I think that this rich young ruler had probably just witnessed, he was an eyewitness to the, what had just taken place. Last week in, in here, we talked about the story between the tax collector um, and the Pharisee. And the Pharisee who's going, man, look at me. Look at me. I'm good. I'm glad I'm not like them. And the tax collector who realized, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. One in a, permission, uh, a place of pride and one of humility. And he heard Jesus say, no, that tax collector, he's, his, his heart position, it saved him. Then Jesus turns and he, and he looks at the children and he says, man, let the little children come to me. And then he warns them. that says, those who do not come like the little children with the faith of a child aren't coming into the kingdom of God. He said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So this, this rich young ruler, he's looking, he's going, well, the tax collector can be saved and the kids can be saved. What do I got to do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I just want to give, give, give a word of explanation here because it, it's almost, if you read this, it's like, well, so Jesus is saying he's not good? Well, within the Pharisees who would have been, would have been listening, for a Pharisee teacher, for a, a leader to call themselves good, uh, that, that was something of betrayal. That would have gotten him in hot water, uh, no, no doubt. They did not, at this point, understand that Jesus was fully God. Now, he'd been telling them all along, but they didn't have understanding on it. And so he, he, he kind of defers, skims around and goes, why are you calling me good? And then he says this to him because he, he understands his heart. He knows what he's asking, and he goes after him. And he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And this is the man's response. And he said, all of these I've kept from my youth. Here's my next, my next big idea. We can fool ourselves into believing we are good. He says this. He says this to Jesus. All of these I've kept from my youth. That's bull. That's not true. That's not right. Right? He didn't. I haven't. You haven't. No one is able to keep all of these from their youth. Maybe you've seen uh, a, a video clip, a, a YouTube clip of this uh, evangelist that was maybe popular maybe 10 years ago. His name was Ray Comfort. And Ray Comfort would go around on the college campus. He would go different places. You'd find him in public places. And 
And he would engage people by saying, hey, are, do you think you're good? Are you like a morally good person? And they would go, well, yeah, I think I'm good. You know, it's pretty rare that he would find somebody and go, nope, I'm not. I'm a wretch, right? They go, no, I think I'm pretty good. And he would, he would start asking these questions. Have, well, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Well, yeah. You know, have, have, you ever done, have, you ever, have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? Have you ever told, told a lie? And he would use those to get them to actually say, well, no, morally then, um, if this is the standard, then morally actually, um, not good. Now, w- what's given here are the last five Ten Commandments. It's what is often referred to the second tablet. You know, the first tablet had to do about God, right? Uh, you know, honoring God, having no idols before God. Keeping the Sabbath holy. The, five, the first five are about loving God. The second five are about loving your neighbor, right? So if you consider, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that's, that's the first tablet. The second tablet is love your neighbor as your, yourself. Here, here are these five. He, he gets them out of order, by the way, and uh, that makes me feel good about myself. If, like, Luke can get stuff out of order, I often get stuff out of order, uh, get it mixed up in my head. And so... Here he's got these second, these second set of laws that he, that he asks, and the guy thinks that he's done this. So you're telling me that, that I get it. You can say, oh, I've not committed adultery. I've kept that one. Now, Jesus' New Testament ethic, right? He hadn't, he hadn't, he's not throwing that on him. Have you even lusted after a woman in your heart? Uh, murder? I, I haven't murdered anybody, not considering the New Testament ethic. If you've hated someone, you've committed murder in your, in your heart. I, I promise you, he's not honored his mother and father perfectly, but, but this one, this one, I, he breaks. Have you borne false witness? All of these I've kept from my youth. You see it? He broke it right there. In that moment, he broke one of the laws in which he said, but yet he had convinced himself that he was good. You know, it's through the law that comes our knowledge of our sin. You know, we often look at the Old Testament law and like we, we reject it. We say, hey, we're New Testament people. The Old Testament is law is bad. We don't have to follow it. But those 10 commandments are there for our good. We don't just reject those 10 commandments and throw those 10 commandments out. They're how we love God and we love our neighbor. This is what Paul says. Paul says in Romans 3.20, as he's been talking about sinfulness, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And Paul goes on to say, man, it's through seeing the law that I saw just how covetousness was a huge part of my heart. In, in here, I've, this, the law has showed, showed me that I'm coveting other things and that I am sinful. And so the law should be enough. But this man, he looked at the law and he failed to be realistic and he fooled himself. Now, I think we can do this. And I think this is one of the great warnings to the rich young ruler is that we can be in a place where we think that we are good enough wealthy enough, whatever else, that we don't need salvation. But in fact, uh, as I've talked about in, 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 in these texts of recent, that we have to be able to realize our sinfulness and that all of us are in need of a Savior. And so this is what Jesus does to show them. He said, okay, you're saying you've got the, the Ten Commandments. Well, we'll see. 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Now, distribute to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I want you to notice that. Here's the next big idea is that when you ask Jesus a question, you need to be ready to submit to his answer. When you ask Jesus a question, you need to be ready to submit to his answer. You know, my, my kids will often, and I think your kids probably do this too, those of you who have kids, uh, they'll come up to you enthusiastically and ask you a question. And they, there's something that they want, and there's something that they desire, and they're like, can I? And then you say, no, and what do they do? <sighs> some cry, some pitch a fit, some, some walk away, right? Your kids will begin to learn what question to ask what parent so that I get the right answer, right? And, and most of the time, they've le- they learn pretty quick, don't ask dad, right? You know, it's like they want something, and dad's not, uh, mom's not home yet. They're like, if I just wait 30 minutes, mom will be home, and the answer will be yes, um, if you ask dad and you come up and ask mom, it's like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. And you ask dad and the answer's no. Am I, the, am I the only dad that does that? Why do we say no? Because we're grumpy. You know, I don't know. Why do, I don't know why we say it because we're grumpy. I don't know. Um, no, because no, is, it's good to hear no, right? That's the reality. You know, I, I love my children. I, I care for them deeply. And in, in all seriousness, like joking aside, when they ask a question and we tell them no, why do we do it? Do we tell them no because we don't want their, what's good, for, you know, we don't want their good, we don't want something good, we don't want them to have any joy. Like no fun for you, no joy for you. I, that is my job in life as a dad is to make sure that you're miserable. No, that's not, all, that's not it at all, is it? My job in life is to make sure they have what they need. And that as a dad, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. So if my kid comes and says, Dad, can I get a cell phone? The answer is no. I'm not putting a loaded handgun in your pocket. I'm not letting you play Russian roulette. I'm, 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 I love you. I care for you. When you ask this question or that question, you know, it's, it's, it's bedtime and you're trying to drink red Kool-Aid like, no, it's not good for any of us, right? It's, you're asking for this, you're asking for that, you're, you're whatever, whatever it is, like, I love my kids and I'm going to do what, what I know is best for them. That's the motive. That's my motive is answering. So when, when we come to God and we ask a question, he's going to tell us what is good for us. God keeps no good thing from his children. God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he knows each of us. He knows our souls, and he knows what it is that we need. But you hear this rich young ruler come and ask this question, and his response is incredibly telling, isn't it? His response is telling that my riches, my treasures, my things that I have are an idol in my life. I'm trusting in those, I'm gripping to those, I'm clinging to those, and he walks away sad 
because he's not willing to walk away from it. He's not willing to walk, walk away from his idol. And so, listen, when we ask Jesus a question, we go to the Bible looking for the answer. We need to see what's in the Bible, and we need to trust what's in the Bible that the answer is good. And, and when we, we can't go to the Bible and try to bend it and twist it to justify, to get the answer that we want, that we need to go in an intellectually honest way with a truthful heart and say, what does Scripture say? And we need to be good with the answer. This is what Jesus says. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, he said this, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Here's the next big idea, is that you won't have treasure in heaven if you're attached to your tre treasures on earth. You will not have treasure in heaven if you're attached to your treasures on earth. There was this there's this lady in a small town, and she ran a nonprofit there, and she was needing to raise funds for her nonprofit. And so she starts going through her books, and this is a small town. She knows most everybody there. She's looking, and she's going, okay, who, who, like, how can we get more money for this nonprofit? Like, the town believes in this cause. We believe in this cause. We need to raise money. And she realizes that one of the wealthiest men in the town has never given to this nonprofit. And so the dude was a lawyer. He was a very successful law firm. He had some, uh, several other properties. She thought, man, this, this dude's worth millions. Um, I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to make an ask, and I'm going to get him to give to this nonprofit. And so uh, the lady goes to the man, and she, she asks for an appointment, and she gets an appointment, and she sits down with him, and she says, you know, this is what our nonprofit does. Maybe you've never heard about us. But this is what we do, and I saw that you've never given, so you must not know. And the man goes, oh, actually, I have, I have heard about you, and, and you guys do good work. Thank you for that. But what you don't know about me is that my mom has cancer. And my mom has cancer. She doesn't have insurance or anything, and so I'm paying, you know, uh, she's, got, she's got cancer. And, man, her, her treatment is super expensive, and there's a ton of, there's a ton of cost with it. And um, I also have an uncle. And that uncle, his house burnt recently, and uh, he lost everything he has. And I've got a brother, and that brother was in an accident, and that brother uh, broke his leg, and he has no way to earn an income. And so the lady who's asked this, she, she had done a ton of research, but she did not know any of this, and so she begins feeling bad. I can't believe I would ask him for this. I didn't know all these things. I had judged him in my heart. And so she's sitting there with this look on her face. She's feeling bad for asking. And then the man says to her, he says, and if, and if they have all these problems and I've never given them anything, what makes you think I'm going to give you anything? Um, if you treasure the things of this earth and you hang on to the things of this earth, you will not have treasures in heaven. He, he, he shows us this. Jesus shows us this. He says in, in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is what we know, know in Scripture. It is an sin to be rich. 
it is a sin to worship your riches. It's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to think that your riches are going to save you. It's, it's, it's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to trust in those riches and treasure up those riches and not treasure up Jesus. What do we see in Scripture? We see Abraham. We see David. We see Solomon. We see people with great wealth but we see them steward it for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. You know, he says in this passage, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you've heard this passage taught, I'd say there's a decent chance that you've heard that this is really an illustration that in, uh, in, a, in an ancient city, there would be this hole in the wall called an eye of a needle. It would be a small hole, one that you would have to crawl through, and that um, a camel would have to come. In order for a camel to get inside the city wall, what you'd have to do is to take the, uh, whatever the camel was toting, right, any, any sort of uh, thing that it was hauling, its burden off, and the camel would have to get down on its knees and be in like basically have to crawl through the eye of a needle, and it wasn't easy for a camel to do. Anybody ever heard that taught? Okay, not many people. That's great because some, somebody raised their hand. Uh, that's, that's bad teaching. Actually, um, I don't think you're going to find a serious scholar who, who believes that. And so as I read this week and as I studied this week, what I found out is that mo most scholars who've done, done the work and they've dug in to the language, it's like literally what, what Jesus is saying, this was an impossibility. You cannot take a little bitty needle Anybody ever try to thread a needle? I used to could do that easy, and now I'm like, well, the old people in the room get it. It's hard. Um, it's hard. A camel ain't fitting through it. I can't, I can't fit a small piece of thread through it. A camel for sure isn't through it. Like, it's an impossibility. So it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the, the kingdom of God. So then they're going to ask this very obvious question. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But listen to Jesus' answer. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Here's the next big idea. Is that God made a way for men to be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how you are saved. How does it happen? It is made possible by Jesus Christ. Listen, salvation is a miracle that belongs to God. In God's sovereign plan, with God's sovereign hand, he reaches down to us and he touches our hearts and he draws us unto himself. The Bible teaches us that we love him because he first loved us. And so he reaches down and he shows us our need for salvation. And he shows us who the Savior is. God made a way through Jesus. That's how you're saved. So how is a rich man saved? Like any other man. By faith and trust in Jesus. But why is this hard? This is hard because when we have riches, we cling to those riches. We idolize those riches. We trust in those riches rather than trusting in Christ. And so what that means for us is that we have to reject the treasures of this world, consider them as filthy rags, and realize that the kingdom of God is better. We see in the Bible, we see heaven described. We see heaven described. One of the things that we see 
is that in heaven, the streets will be made of gold, right? And whether that's literal or that's figurative, and, and I lean towards figurative, what, what that means is that the, the very finest thing on earth, the thing that has the most value on earth is gold, and that in heaven, it will be dirt. It will be the dirt that we drive our heaven mobiles on. I'm not sure how that's going to work, right? But that's the idea, right? The dirt, the, the lowest thing, the thing that, that streets are paved with, that the treasures of heaven are so much greater. And then when we realize in this, this passage... Is, is that it's worth it. Following Jesus is, is worth it. Listen to what Peter, Peter said. He said, see what? See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So here's my next big idea, is that when you make Jesus Lord of your life, you receive the treasure that is Jesus Christ. Making Jesus Lord of your life means that you lay it all down. Earlier, we learned from Luke. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? That when you make Jesus Lord of your life, you're laying it down. You're laying down your life at the, the feet of Jesus. And you're saying, Jesus, you are Lord. Now, you look at, look at Peter. Peter's saying, truly, look at us. And he, I think he's speaking on behalf of all the disciples. We laid it down. We followed you. We laid down our riches. We walked away and we followed you. But, which is, by the way, the same thing that he's asked this rich young ruler to do. Right? Uh, uh, sell your riches to the poor. Turn around and follow me. So doesn't it seem like there for a second that it's like, oh, if you do this thing, if you do this work, you will be saved. No, the point is that what God has worked in their heart is worked out. And the treasures of, of the earth have become rags. And the treasures of, of Christ have become the new treasure in your heart. You know, um, it's, no, it's no light thing to do what they did. I remember being um, 20 years old. I shared, I shared last week of six years old when... I was convicted of my sin. I was eight years old when I placed my faith and trust in Christ, but I was 20 years old when I felt called to ministry and I, I felt called to pursue the training in ministry. And I remember going and having a conversation with my, my mother and my brother and my sister and telling them, I, I remember how hard it was to tell my brother that I was, I was leaving the, the things that I was doing. He and I worked at the same place. We, we were together all the time. Like I, I remember just what good friends we were to go, hey, I'm forsaking you to follow Jesus. It was hard. I remember years later when we were felt called to, to move out here and to plant a church. Well, we were at a church that we loved and a, a people that we loved. It felt like home. We loved where we were. And I remember going to the, those people that we loved and who cared for us and saying, hey, we're forsaking you to follow Christ. You know, today, Kyle and Buckley, they're going to 
we're going to commission them out. And man, they've already done this once. They did this when they moved here from Kentucky. They said, hey, we're going to take, it, we're going to take up our cross and we're going to follow them out there. The fact that they do it again, the fact that again, after they've, they've made a new home and they've made new friends, that they say, hey, we're, we're, we're going to do it again. Listen, it is hard. But do you know why that, that you would do that over and over, that you would do it again and again? You do it because you have made Jesus the treasure of your life, because following Jesus is worth it. I'm not saying that when you follow Jesus, that Jesus is going to come to you and say, oh, give everything you have and sell to the poor. He's going to take your circumstances and say, hey, you're going to, I'm going to move you across the world. What he is saying is put it all on the line. And put your yes on the table to say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead. Lay it all down. And let me tell you why it's worth it to lay it all down. Let's keep reading. Taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. We'll read more about this in the weeks to come. We'll see, first week of February, we'll see the triumphal entry. We'll, we'll see over, over the coming weeks, leading, leading up to Easter and even past Easter, we'll see what's going to happen with the crucifixion. But this is it. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, the Romans, right? And he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit on. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Let me tell you why it's worth it to follow Jesus. Here's the last big idea. Because Jesus willingly lost his life to save yours. That's why it's worth it. It's worth every bit of it. I will tell you. That if you look around the world and you look at the wealthiest people on the planet, you look at, you look at the celebrities and the sports stars and the, the people who have inherited their riches, what you will see is that if they're going to have joy, it still has to come from, through Jesus. They're still going to suffer. They're still going to have trials. And if you look around, you're going to see really a lot of people who are clinging to their riches and are unhappy. They have no joy. Their lives are a wreck. Their lives are spiraling out of control. And so following Jesus brings you joy. Following Jesus, laying, laying, as he laid down, willingly lost his life, it's great for us. It's good for us to willingly come to, to him and say, I lay it all down. I'm making you Lord. I'm going to follow you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He was handed over the Gentiles. He was mocked. He was shamefully treated. They spit on him. They gambled over his clothes. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They had beat him. They had flogged him. And they hung him on the cross and he died. But they did not have the last word. God did. And on the third day, God breathed life back into his son. And raised his son from the dead. Proving that he was God. Make Jesus Lord of your life and be saved. Cling to Jesus. Make him your treasure and then you'll have joy. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is a gift. It is so good. 
It is so good for us. Lord, it tunes our heart. It, it draws us to you. We hear the truth of Scripture, and we see that, that here this book that's thousands of years old, some of it, is held with timeless truth that orients our hearts towards you. And so, Lord, I pray that would be what would happen today, Lord, that we would run from the things of this, this earth, that we would look at them, the things that moss can eat and rust can destroy and that fire can burn, and we would run to the eternal things. We would run to the things that are so far beyond our circumstances, things that are eternal, things that are going to matter a million years from now, and that is where we would put our hope, in you for our salvation. Lord, move and work in our hearts. Tune our hearts towards you today. Let us abandon the things of this earth and run to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.